0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Latinx, Politics Refresh. I'm one of your hosts, Matthew Lawrence. Uh, getting together today to talk about the weekly news. Joining me, as always, is Robert. Robert, how are you? How was your week?
1: I was pretty good. You know, was, uh, everything's the same in quarantine, but, uh, you know, we're getting there. We're getting to opening up, which is great. Glad to be here it with is. you, Matt.
0: Yeah, it is great. Is your uh, bracket busted? Mine is uh, completely destroyed.
1: Oh, uh, yeah. Than I thought. I had Illinois and Iowa in the final, so I've been out for a while.
0: <laughs> I have uh, Michigan and Arkansas, but I, I think did Arkansas win? Yeah, they did. last night. So, hey, so you're I, still alive. I, I'm still alive. Yeah, I, I don't think, uh, and Gonzaga. So, we'll see. I, yeah, uh, I don't think I'm going to win the one bracket tournament, but who knows? If I pick the champion, then maybe I can win some money. That'd so, nice. <laughs> so starting off this week, um, sort of reversing that not very cheery want to talk about something that's pretty sad that happened this week and that is of course the shooting that happened in boulder colorado um where 10 people were killed and i was just reading and we were discussing before the podcast started sort of how it went down and how you know terrifying the accounts were um this is from the denver post it was sort of um you know right on the heels of the atlanta shooting last week and a gunman 21 year old entered into a grocery store and, uh, you know, people were minding their own business, going about their day, doing something that we all do every single week, sort of routinely, and started firing shots with a nine millimeter handgun with an extended barrel, ended up killing 10 people and including fatally wounding an officer who showed up on the scene and within 30 seconds sprinted into the grocery store to try and, uh, you know, apprehend this guy. Um, and he unfortunately ended up losing his life. So that's really unfortunate. Um, you know, one thing I did want to mention about this is you, you had to run here, how do we tackle gun control. And the problem with a situation like this one is that it wasn't any type of special weapon. It was a handgun. Like yeah. there are, there are yeah. you know, hundreds of millions of these all across America, um, one thing that someone, you know, I am a supporter of the second amendment, but I think mental health screenings need to become a routine part of how people get guns in this country. I mean, yeah,
1: absolutely. I mean, there's just, at, at this point we have, we have a mass shooting. It feels like almost every one, every six months at this point. Right. Mm-hmm. That's what it feels like. Um, obviously our, our hearts go out to those that lost someone and, um, You know, it's it's a horrible, horrible thing. You don't you don't expect, and it's terrifying. And it's I I couldn't agree with you more about mental health checks. Um, I think that you know background checks and mental health checks those are just common sense things, right? Like these are. Why is it? Why do you not? Why do you need a license to drive a car, right? But don't need a license in the same way, like you don't need to be screened in the same way for a gun. And I just, I think that mental health is a huge area that the U S is lacking in a couple ways. You know, we, we need a better, um, mental health infrastructure in this country, uh, to help people. Um, and then, you know, in terms of guns, they are too easy to get in this country right now, and they're too easy for bad people to get.
0: Yeah, well, I think a better mental health infrastructure is one thing to put it. I I don't think the infrastructure exists at all. Like within the past 15 years, it's really like now we are starting to understand mental health and like this is the work of mental health advocates all over the United States. It's very big in our generation in particular and really understanding that it's not so much, you know, you do have to go through background checks to get a weapon and The issue with that is, you know, a lot of these mass shooters, this is the first time they're committing a crime. So this is like, there's not just going to pop up. Like, there is no red flag, as you will. But one thing that would be a red flag is someone with a history of mental illness. Because that's inevitably who is doing the attacks. It is people who suffer, like, psychotic breaks from, from reality they get warped in their own head and they go and buy a weapon for the first time a lot of the times, right? It's not like, you know, it's not gun collectors who are, you know, going out shooting with their buddies every weekend that are doing these. It is like opportunistic people going through a mental health crisis end up going and purchasing a weapon committing these tra- and committing these tragedies. So I think a three-day mental health screening, why is that so bad? I don't understand the problem.
1: It's just... It, it's so interesting because we we have two sides of this issue, right? You have the you have the liberals who now and the Democrats who want to ban assault weapons, and you know I can come down on either side of that, like the right to bear arms does not differentiate. But also, what do you need and what do you need an assault rifle for, right? But this like
0: this is the thing. I think the definition then, of like what is an assault rifle because I'm because right. Well, this, is, the this means, is what I'm
1: saying though, like you you United then you... banned
0: automatic weapons and all that stuff in the 1980s right like there was an assault weapons ban there was yeah. and now all of these guns that are you know it's one shot one pull the trigger like they're all semi-automatic rifles and i'm like, like i'm just handgun.
1: i'm just saying on the other side though you have republicans and conservatives who are completely unwilling to listen to rational reform to guns right like there's just nothing there's no room for compromise on this issue. It has become one of these. It's almost become part of the the culture war, in some ways, where you have a hard and fast answer on both sides, of, um, both sides of the aisle that are in complete disagreement. Um, I'm interested because of the weakened state of the NRA today um, to see whether or not you know we can actually get to a point between conservatives and liberals where we agree upon something that's rational and would actually help with the problem, like mental health screening, right?
0: And I think, to your point, I think the culture is changing and going in that direction. And this is because there are polls and surveys they do, asking NRA members even, would you be open to mental health screenings? And the responses are almost always unanimously, yes.
1: Yeah, that's the thing is it's that it's that not it's from. not the people that actually think this way. It is the you know, it's the high level politics that's at play with these issues.
0: Yeah, and it is part of the culture war, and I sort of want to like shift to that because one of the worst Okay, the worst thing about all these shootings is obviously the people who lose their loved ones, the people who lose their yeah, lives. And I'm not I'm not taking anything away from that. You're not on Twitter. And you're very lucky and very smart and very (laughs) good for your mental health. Because one of the most disgusting and disturbing things inevitably that comes out of these shootings is it seems like everyone in the stands and the wings is like crossing their fingers, hoping that the identity of the shooter is going to be something that they can use to bash the other side with.
1: Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous.
0: It's either we really hope it's a white guy that's killing minorities or we really hope it's a Muslim killing terrorist, So we can say, you know, this is radical Islam or we can say, you know, white supremacy is, is killing us. It's like the common thread here. What, what do the Colorado shooter and the Atlanta shooter have in common is a lack of mental health, right? Like yeah, this is, absolutely. they're both crazy people. They're, you know, they have, mental well, we don't know. We, members.
1: I guess we haven't, I mean, you, we can just infer from their actions, right. That they are, that there's something wrong with them. Um, you know, but just on that, in, in that vein, we have now basically a psychological profile of a mass shooter, right? You can, when we're talking about mental health screenings, we're not talking about like anyone with like something small wrong with them, can't get a gun. You now know what to look out for, right? And yeah. then you could refer them to like a, a health service or something of that nature so that they can get help. The, that is a reform that I would love to see um, because I don't think there's going to be any agreement otherwise um, between...
0: Something that Bill Moore actually brought up, and I again, I think I, this was probably the second time I brought him up on this podcast, but he was talking about this. Um, sex seems to be a common thing that these mass shooters lack. Like, <laughs> any, like no, Actually, no, that's like, hilarious. It, it, I mean, you know, it's like, it, as funny as
1: anything can be in the face of a horrible tragedy, but...
0: Yeah, like, the people who are just, like, they don't have any real relationships in their life. They're socially mm-hmm. isolated people. Loners. Right? They, they're they loners. They're, they're these, you know, incels or religious extremists. They beat themselves up. Like, this guy in Atlanta was supposedly, in, in his words, wanted to went to these massage parlors because it was too much of a distraction because he he was you know they were touching people and he was some religious extremist guy like this is what he's talking about and it's just so strange to think that it could push someone that far well it's
1: like if you don't have anything else to think about right if you have no one in your life if you have nothing to distract you and you have a mental illness and you're not seeking help and you don't, and there's no one looking out for you, trying to help you. Right. These are, you can kind of understand how someone can fall into a path of, um, you know, insanity and destruction. Um, but I just, I, I think that gun reform in this country, if it was going to happen, you know, within, with this current set of politics and politicians was going to happen after Sandy Hook,
0: um,
1: you know, with 30 dead children, maybe, was it more than 30? I, I, I don't I, I, I'm not
0: going to put a number cause I'm not sure.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure either, but it was at least 30. Um, and that is something that still to this day shocks me that we didn't have some form of comprehensive reform. Or something to to fix this horrible problem
0: well this problem is sort of uniquely american and one thing i wanted to bring this up because um i remembered a little bit of the literature when i was getting involved in this and it was what is sort of helping or causing mass shootings is that they happen in these clusters it's like one happens then another happens and another happens and they they sort of form like four in, in the span of two months. Mm-hmm. Then it goes a little quiet for a while. And, you know, it reminded me, I was looking, reading this article, NPR researchers at Arizona State University. Um, her name's Sherry Towers. She's someone that studies diseases. And this is in 2019. She had no idea that she was going to have a big break with COVID, I'm sure. But she studied and wanted to know in her mathematical models, do mass shootings spread? And are they contagious similar to the way that disease is spread? Hmm. And she found a positive correlation. Interesting. That that mass shootings, the data that we have, when they happen, how they happen, and this is defined by four or more deaths involved in a gun shooting, a gun, you know, attack, was that the way that almost the media covers the mass shootings and sensationalizes this type of violence, these These things happen in clusters. They spread. Again, they spread like contagion. And Jillian Peterson, I'm sorry, I I think that's her name. I want to make sure I get it right. Um, Yeah, Jillian Peterson, she found something called the Violence Project. She's from Hamline University. She found similar things independent of Sherry's study. So when she put it in her models, she found like, holy shit, the way that we're covering these mass shooters by putting their face all over the place, by talking about their name, making them famous online this is sort of encouraging people who would be inclined to commit violent acts to do so in this way. Hmm. Yeah. I've always,
1: I've always been of the opinion that we should use the person's name and face as little as possible in the media because, because of exactly this, I, you know, it's, it's nice to have um, data to back that up. And I think that's definitely something that we, that needs to be explored more. And also needs to be brought to the attention of, you know, the media in a major way, um, because they don't want to be responsible for more mass shootings. Um, And it would be, you know, it'd be it'd be an interesting it would be an interesting case study if you could get them to kind of sign on to that with the first one happening. If you stop using that person's name and face to see if more follow or not.
0: Well, and this is something that I, you know, to circle back a little bit of what I was talking about, they use the face and the name because they want to push a narrative.
1: Yeah. I mean, In the thing culture, is you can push, have, you can push the narrative without the person's name or face, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You can, you can capitalize on this is, you know, this is from their perspective and dark and something I don't agree with, but they can capitalize on the sensationalism of this if they want to. Um, By by just using, you know, the race or, you know, like any other underlying mental health issues or religion or whatever, whatever aspect of that person's personality that they want to demonize. Um, But they don't, they don't have to glorify the shooter at the same time in other shooters' minds, potential shooters' minds.
0: Yeah. And I, you know, we can wrap this up here, but one of yeah. the most glaring examples of this that I'm reminded of is the Starnev brothers from the Boston Marathon bombings, yeah. where they put his face right on the cover of Rolling Stone. It's like, man, you want to talk about famous? She, you know?
1: I mean, that, yeah, that's, and that's, like and that's like a, that's a fame based magazine, right? That's,
0: mm-hmm. yeah, that's Dua Lipa's face. Why yeah. Why are you putting uh, the bomber's face on there? Right. So, Let's shift a little bit to something a little bit more complex and maybe not cheery, but something that I think you and I are both interested in. And that would be the economic agreement that Iran and China just made and and with each other. It's been five years in the making. It's a 25 year plan. Um, Why don't you tell people a little about how that happened?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So it's uh, like you said, it's an economic and security cooperation agreement. Uh, This is from uh, Wall Street Journal. Defying U.S. attempts to isolate Iran and advancing Tehran's long-standing efforts to deepen diplomatic ties outside of Western powers. Um, it's interesting, right? Because you have, you have China making agreements with countries, um, to tie them to themselves in a way that they're already tied to the U.S., right? Um, in Europe, um, you know, now we're kind of vying for, uh, perfect trading uh you know we're vying to be the more competitive trader with china in a way um and like more tethered economically um you have china bullying its regional um adversaries uh such as japan australia south korea india and the rest of uh east asia um and now you have them continuing their expansion into the Middle East and Africa in this way. I think this is a huge win for Iran, quite honestly, because they were really looking for a place to sell oil. it's a It's a win for China, but it, you know it's a short term win um in that I think China recognizes that oil is not the way of the future, um, but they need it in the short term. Um, so, you know, Iran finds a way to sell a lot of oil quickly, uh, which is what their economy is based off of. Um,
0: yeah, right. Like do China doesn't really care about the oil. It's more so them helping Iran out because Iran has this thing that runs their economy and they need a way to get through, um, sorry, bypass us sanctions. I saw one thing that they were planning on doing was opening a Chinese Iranian bank that's one way that, yes, try to that was in sanctions
1: that was actually the, that was actually the piece that I thought was most significant because the Iranian Chinese bank um, allows Iran to get back into the international banking system in a way unless the u s. is willing to sanction China's banking actions, which it definitely isn't right now for this
0: uh, no way.
1: Um, I mean it, you know it would come that, that comes in a real confrontation between the u s and China. Um, but the financial sector has been the U.S.'s major advantage over every country, um, that it wants to sanction. And it, if you want to apply smart sanctions, if you want to apply, you know, crippling economic sanctions like we have done to Iran, you can, you can destroy an economy, which we did, um, in, in this way. But if they have a backdoor back into the international economy, um, and international financial sector, with this new bank, that's significant. I mean, it, it will be limited, but in the way that all Chinese banks are limited because, you know, um, of the risk of nationalization and also currency manipulation. They're not the favored banks of the world because the government is authoritarian. Whereas in a democratic government, you know, you have laws and the stability of the rule of law is what makes the U.S. banking system the world leader. Um, but it's it's certainly a major win for Tehran in that way. And I mean, in the short term, China definitely needs the oil. Um, that's something that they're constantly trying to get expand into. That's why they're so aggressively pursuing the South China Sea. Um, it's for those oil reserves. So: I think this is just another example of we lost four years with Trump, where you know we had we had a really solid Nuclear power agreement, we were letting them back into the global economy. We had resumed talk we had resumed diplomatic relations and Trump came in and tore it up. Um it's just it's just another example of how Donald Trump actually furthered the interests of China.
0: Yeah, you know, the JCPOA, China is one of the main sponsors and you know signatories of that agreement along with Russia. And this essentially gives them some leverage when the United States inevitably wants to get back inside of the agreement. Because that agreement worked. I think what this shows is that the sanctions on Iran aren't working. It's not changing their government. It's making them more steadfast. And they have more control over their people than they ever have. Because, you know, when America is doing these things to Iran, you're essentially giving an argument to the hardliners in Iran. You're not helping the liberals in Iran.
1: Well, and when a liberal, you know, comes in, makes an agreement with the U.S., and a year later, the U.S. tears it up and throws it away. That is just horrible for liberalism in Iran.
0: Well, yeah, then you have the mullahs that can say, well, we tried it your way. See, it doesn't work. So now we're going to pivot even more to China. And, you know, Iran and China have been close before. You know, China has been selling Iran weapons since the 1980s. It's nothing I new. We. It's just this is. Yeah. So wait, this is just <laughs> a deepening of that economic tie. And, yeah. you know, an interesting aspect of this because you know, Iran is obviously looking to evade sanctions. I have a a friend who is Persian, not Iranian Persian, his family came over here before uh, the revolution. Um, He obviously would like to see a huge change in Iran, but he was telling me is, you know, something that sort of confuses or, or tests like my libertarianism with Bitcoin. So There have been rolling blackouts throughout Iran for the past year and a half. And so what turns out is that because Iran wasn't able to use international banking system, they have these sanctions. What they've been doing is setting up these giant facilities.
1: To mine Bitcoin?
0: To mine Bitcoin. They've been buying the technology from China.
1: (laughs) That's amazing. That's that's
0: crazy. I, I didn't believe them. And then all of a sudden, Reuters had this great piece about it where they essentially have like thou- like millions and millions of dollars invested in these huge facilities where just filled with these servers, mining Bitcoin, and then taking that Bitcoin and essentially using it to avoid US sanctions. And so China is like, yeah, you're just buying all of our, you know, technology, essentially, right? And then they can use Bitcoin to pay. Um, no, you can just use Bitcoin to essentially funnel their money, right? Wow. Yeah,
1: I mean, you're 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 operating like more like a, you know, a not not a cartel, but a you know a, a failed state at that point. So I think yeah. the U.S. sanctions they're still working in the way that you have no legitimacy if you're you know buying and selling things in Bitcoin, right? Um, but it, it's it's, uh, it's a it's, smart it's workaround. Going the
0: other way, it, it's going the other way, right? I mean, Elon. Yeah, was, I mean, now you know, you're like yeah, now you're back dollars into in Bitcoin. <laughs> right like tesla yeah about 500 million dollars in bitcoin or something like that like bitcoin is the future they're using it it's just one of those things that it's untraceable um which is a good thing and a bad thing because bad actors obviously will prefer it but yeah, um, yeah well if know. it helps
1: you avoid the u.s banking system you know it's smart for iran to do it's not it's not the way that a country should operate at the current moment though
0: no, I mean um, it's probably not a good idea for an entire country infrastructure to just be like invested in Bitcoin, which
1: yeah, you know, could <laughs> which is you know which has change in market value, significant right. change in market value,
0: right? Like um, dips, yeah, <laughs> that sort of thing.
1: <laughs> that's uh, not that's not where you want all your money going. Um, but just to get just to get back to China in in some way. Uh, did you watch Biden's press conference by any chance?
0: I uh, I, I didn't. I, I I've been hearing conflicting things about what he's
1: what he said about China was brilliant in my opinion. He said that Xi Jinping is very smart but doesn't have a democratic bone in his body, which is you know a very apt uh, you know breakdown of how that country is being run currently. Um, and he also made the point of China's investing well over what the U.S. is investing in research and development right now. We used to be investing 2% of, um, I, it was either the annual federal budget or our GDP, I forget. And now it's 0.7 and we want to push that back up. And he's right. We just, we need to innovate at a, at a, at either the same or a faster pace than China, in my opinion. As long as we're doing that, we are still ahead because yeah, well, the world is democratic democratic right now.
0: We we've had this this conversation you I know, before, you know. I mean, that might be an apt way to describe Xi Jinping and China, but the thing is they they don't care. They they're not calling themselves, you know, like they're not leading with we're a democracy, right? Like Wait, I'm not
1: saying that. What I'm saying is
0: and yeah. currently they're kicking our ass. Like because the United States because uh, our system isn't allowing uh, us I I mean, they are definitely on the rise. I think
1: they're on the rise, but I think it's I think it's easy to overstate how well they're doing. You know, they do they have had every nation, you know, every nation that matters condemn them for their treatment of the Uyghurs. They have faced international backlash over Hong Kong. We're not doing well
0: right now. but But what's happening with them?
1: I mean, you have companies being like, boycotted in China or in the U.S., depending on how they respond to the.
0: Uh, they're not. They're not leaving. I mean, they just. I mean, companies in the United States will say, "You know, you, you work in Xinjiang province." What they really mean is just move it out of Xinjiang, right? Like,
1: move it out problem. of the slave labor. Right. But, but yeah. what I'm saying is, like, this is, and that's creating its own problems within China. So you're you're setting up for what? What I mean more is like. Even if you make economic agreements with them, the world is not turning to them for leadership, right?
0: Um, not, not the Western world, but right. But that's
1: that's who we're really competing for, right?
0: Sure, but maybe what Iran is showing and is exemplary of is these countries in the Middle East and Africa who have these systems that typically are are crushed by the United States. They're just turning to China. They don't care. They're going to take the money under the table, and uh, it's not you know, under China the table anymore. Yeah, but China doesn't care what you do with it, right? It's all legitimized
1: through. China. Right, but I, I guess what, like, I guess if you're if you're gaming out this into the long term, right? If China can pick up allies in the Middle East and Africa, right, through economic through their wolf warrior diplomacy and their economic uh and their economic gifts I guess if you want to call it that we're not going to lose Saudi Arabia we're not going to lose Israel we're not going to lose Egypt even if they invest heavily in their infrastructure Egypt is still so dependent on the US in in so mm-hmm. many ways like, sure. we have they're going to our enemies or people that you know we don't view as or or countries that we don't view as significant enough to foster a real relationship with and they are Doubling down in those places, we can do the same thing in with with more developed, more economically powerful, more militarily powerful uh, regional competitors with China, and that's that's what I would love to see. We can, and also you know, like Europe is going to be a, a real competition now. It's going to be a competition for buying power. It's going to be a competition for um, trade. But at the end of the day, those as long as they stay democratic nations, those places will not they will not be turning to China, especially sure. as they commit atrocities for world leadership. Sure. So sure, the U.S. is like, and I said this last time, the U.S. has set up a international system that disproportionately benefits us. We just need to get back into that and keep doing that.
0: I think the key is at the very end there when you say get back into that. Like, it's just we, you know, the, the way that the United States system is set up is that it's so hard to have like a concerted effort to actually do some of these things, right? Like, you need real majority support, which could have. But we in can
1: we can generate that based on competing with China. You can. Both sides yeah. of our aisle, we agree on this, right? You can disagree on the strategies, but as long as you, I mean, as long as you do it in a smart way, you can actually do this. Like Trump made the mistake of being a, you know, a, a complete isolationist, among the many mistakes. But that hurts us in the long run, right? This is a globalized world. This is a globalized economy we need our allies and we need to strengthen alliances that we in the past have viewed as not very helpful. And yeah. I think that, you know, that summit that uh, was, it is his name Blinken? Is that right? Yeah. Am I pronouncing that right? Went to demonstrates that when he said, look, it seems to us like all of your regional competitors are happy to have us back on the playing field. That's, that's a major deal. Like that's, that's the type of action that we need to be taking.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, we'll see. Uh, we'll see how this this goes. And you know, as long as I think the next Republican that will be elected
1: will um, be very telling. Will
0: we'll, be, we'll be very telling, telling and will be very anti-China as well. I, I think there's like a growing sentiment in the Republican Party yeah. that is like save, almost saber rattling to a point where it is like we're done with we're done with playing around. So, which honestly. Makes me a little nervous, but uh, something has to be done. You know, someone's gotta step up to the plate.
1: I think if you use the rhetoric to rally the people, but then use you know the tried and true strategies of the Cold War and of American foreign policy, you can we can win this. We can come out on top of this. They have structural problems in their country that are not going away and will be heavily exacerbated by their authoritarian rule. So You just need to, you just need to, we just need to hold on and, you know, come together as Americans more. And we'll, but we'll see what happens, right? You know, we have, we have the same structural problems. Well, not the same. We have different structural problems that could equally be our undoing as demonstrated by the insurrectionists on January 6th. Yeah. Um, We don't
0: have to get it. We don't have to get into the end. Yeah. This is like a whole other thing. Yeah, you
1: wanna you wanna move on want. to our next topic.
0: Those are, I think, those are like those Q people are just absolutely insane. I don't think they pose too much of a threat to any legitimate power sources in America. Like they,
1: a bunch well, of more, waving. Signs. I I, okay. I meant more that you know the Republican Party has become increasingly authoritarian and is limiting the right to vote currently and limiting protesting rights and flying in the face of democracy and refusing to concede elections when. They lose them. So, you know, if we lose our democracy, then we will lose uh, internationally for sure.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm not a a big democracy guy, but that's a podcast over time. What? Not a big democracy guy. I, uh, you know, I want a decentralization um, as locally as possible.
1: Oh, my God. But how do you choose those leaders?
0: I don't know if I need leaders. necessarily Democratically?
1: um, or...
0: Yeah, well, there's a thing. It's like you... Wait, so just whenever... to be clear.
1: So, you're, so at the beginning of this episode, you were advocating for national restrictions on who can buy a gun based on mental health checks. And now you're saying that we would like all of it to be localized to a point where that couldn't exist.
0: No, that could exist.
1: But there that would be no... Exist. But then how do you enforce it? There could be... It's there every... could
0: be... <laughs> It's just... Look at me. It's just when democracy is just such a interesting concept, I don't know necessarily that it works like direct democracy does not work. We're a Republic for a reason. That's the, we whole have a representational
1: democracy,
0: side. representational democracy. Um, you know, that represents
1: the best ideals on the
0: planet. I just, I mean, I guess, I mean, I, I look around and I don't know how many people I want deciding what I can do with my life. And I, Honestly, shouldn't be making decisions for other people's lives as well. Um, I mean, the average voter—are they in a position to choose people who should be ruling over me? I don't know. I think that's an interesting philosophical question.
1: I mean, I think it's their right to do so, though. Instead of I, you know,
0: yeah.
1: if you their if right you... to
0: choose who rules over me, like that's that's. Exactly I mean, it's it's, it's the right, right of
1: a it's the right in a republic to express your opinion by voting. Which is? Yeah,
0: I think you express your opinion. It's just hey. I mean, don't think if some you should be like
1: ab- absent that, you have a system that is autocratic.
0: Mm. Again, that's why I. Love I mean, if
1: you're if you're rate rate advocating rate for like every local mayor to have a lot more power over the people living in their township, I, I guess I don't see a world in which that works well, in any meaningful way. A lot of way. things
0: are. A lot of things are localized in America, though.
1: Yeah, that we and are, that's part of what's great about this country
0: yeah sure no i mean i'm not saying i hate america trust me i'd rather live in america than anywhere else in the world it's just i hate this especially in federal politics and presidential politics where every four years one of these two people get to make so many decisions that control our life in the direction that the country is going the idea well that i do donald think i trump do think that the... the you know donald trump that's democracy Right. I yeah. Mean, that. Yeah. He well, I mean, does does Donald Trump represent all of America? Should he be the one at the top that is like just breaking treaties with allies? He gets to decide how many bombs we drop in the Middle East. This guy, you know, totally takes us out of the JCPOA in terms of foreign policy. I sort of understand that you need someone to represent the United States in a foreign policy, well, but the yeah. power that we have put in the presidency. That's that's the, the, that's, the
1: that's the real issue here. We have put too much power into the executive branch throughout um our history and it's kind of it's expanded and expanded and expanded and Congress recently has not done enough to check either their war-making powers or their foreign policy powers which in the past they've done. I wrote an article about it. It's on Martinique if anyone wants to check it out.
0: Yeah. Um, So every four years, we have a popularity contest for which side is going to be living, you know, under the boot of the other, essentially, at least that's how people felt as they were living under Donald Trump, right? I mean, I mean, it is an authoritarian fascist and you know he's destroying the country the, like, the hey, thing listen, is though the, the republic I the
1: republic was, was rattled but it stood right that's sure. and that speaks to the strength of a republic and why we need to further strengthen it instead of what the republicans are doing which is trying to weaken it further i, I like i don't know if i would advocate for more state power in this in this in, in the way that you're doing in the face of leadership from, um, a president that wasn't good.
0: I think there are a lot of presidents that weren't good. Um, I would advocate for more state power, but more even just power in the legislature.
1: Yes. I think that legislative power is something that definitely needs to be, um, given back over to a more, uh, you know, getting back to what the constitution actually intended. Um, you know, taming the prince, uh, in a very Machiavellian sense is what, Uh, the constitution attempted to do and uh, did well. Um, but you know, as you give, as you give the executive branch more, um, more agencies, more military power, um, an expanding role in our economy, um, all of these things add up to one person having more power or almost more power than the entire legislature, especially when the legislature is so polarized as it is today.
0: Yeah, well, this entire system that we currently have, American, if you want to get real deep into this, Robert, maybe sometime me or not, we can have another conversation. But the way the United States government actually operates is that every every 75 years or so, the United States has a monarchy, essentially, where George Washington-
1: During a true time of crisis? Yeah, I'd agree. George, with you. you
0: know, where George. George Washington, yeah. Well, it is. it does line up with a true time of crisis. I mean, 75 numbers is around here year. George Washington, yeah, that's, Alexander that's, yes, Hamilton- right. George, George Washington essentially ran the United States government, like whatever
1: he. Yeah, but you know the legislature, the legislature was still being established then, right? So if you want, I guess if you want to say that, sure.
0: I so don't think that seventy-five years later, after that, you have the Civil War
1: uh, with Lincoln, Civil and then War with you,
0: Lincoln,
1: and then you yeah, have, you FDR, have FDR, FDR in the Great Depression, mm. and then FDR we're missing. Yeah, well, FD, just FDR yeah. all the way throughout, FDR. right? I mean, the, yep. during the. During the Great Depression, he actually expanded the role of the presidency through executive order to include, and through some bills passed through Congress, to include um, more power over the agencies directly under him, and also more he power within our, with our economy. So,
0: The government we currently have is the government of FDR. It's just no one has the strings, really the influence that FDR had, where he was destroying and building agencies in the matter of months. Where well,
1: that's because, wanted, that's because Congress came in and actually you know, updated and repudiated some of those well, issues through I bipartisan think, support.
0: Well, I think the important here is it wasn't bipartisan support. It was essentially a rubber stamp for whatever FDR wanted. Him, Harry Hopkins.
1: No, I'm saying like after what I'm saying is after that, when they oh. realized how much power that he was exerting, they had several bills where it was like you can't fire agencies, you can't dissolve agencies. You, they gave more autonomy to the agencies, and um, that helped to strengthen their role and also their ability to disagree with the executive. You know, it's why it's why Dr. Fauci wasn't fired by Trump because he disagreed with him; it's because he couldn't do that.
0: Well, I think it's also sort of what has led to a little bit of the decay of the republic in a way is because fdr was very much you know i very much disagree with fdr's politics obviously being on the left but he was this guy who made shit happen like he well i think
1: it's during the great depression history. during world war ii you had to have that right yeah you did. i mean you just you had to have someone do those things and i think the ideals that he fought for i wholeheartedly agree with I think he fell short, especially in the area of race and, yeah, um,
0: Japanese people and in equality.
1: Camps. Yeah. Well, I was more talking about new deal stuff and then, you know, I was going to yeah. move into that, but yes, oh, yeah, yeah. Because, well, I mean, we had, we had concentration people. camps, we had internment camps. Like these are, these are horrible truths about American past.
0: Um, but, and I want to know what your, your thought is on this is that he, these agencies that he set up once FDR died, this the cords that were attached to these agencies in the way that they operated right because he was very much like a ceo like he fucking made things work those cords were essentially cut and now these agencies to your point you know a lot of republicans they don't they didn't really understand how the government works and so donald trump would get in office and they'd be like why doesn't he do all these things why doesn't he fire you know yeah it's
1: because you can't do that Because it's illegal.
0: He can. Donald Trump doesn't understand power. He doesn't understand how to implement any power because, you know, he's an ignorant buffoon, to be frank. Well, so for
1: for all the reasons that I detest Donald Trump and I hate him and his politics and everything that he stood for, I do think he did two great things uh, for Americans. First of all, he revealed what the Republican Party is at the, the base level and, you know, who they're really appealing to and trying to say without saying. Um, And then, um, second of all, he was an attempted authoritarian who did not possess the political knowledge or wide base to actually pull off a true coup. Um, And I think that we should be thankful for those two things and, you know, make adjustments to our world. And our republic based on them. Strengthening the legislature, like you said, giving some more power back to the states probably is a good idea, making sure that everyone who can and wants to vote and it should be able to vote can vote. Strengthening freedom of speech, strengthening freedom of the press, giving more autonomy to these agencies and more checks to the legislator and judicial branches.
0: Yeah, I I think we just I think we have a disagreement where I think that's giving Donald Trump a little too much credit almost
1: where I I mean, when he, when he would go out and say racist things and do racist things and Republicans would continue to support him and agree with him. And like, you know, when they stood by him through 20 plus sexual assault accounts, when they stood by him through, um, calling, uh, Mexicans, drug dealers and rapists. When he, when they stood by him through all of these progressive, um, this, not progressive, but progression of racism and vitriol and homophobia and sexism. And they, they just kept supporting him and were actually more rabid fans of him because of it. And then when they stood by him through an insurrection, you, you really are demonstrated who does what for what reasons.
0: I'm country. not I'm not familiar with uh, Donald Trump's homophobia at all. I mean, I think the reality of Donald Trump was he's this boomer reality TV star Hollywood guy who's used to just being a bombastic asshole. He's ignorant. He doesn't read. He doesn't know what he's doing. He did. De- he doesn't hire the best people. Right. Like he's just um, he's an ignorant narcissist. That's who he was. I mean, I don't think he was anything necessarily like um It wasn't like this insidious attempt, which is why. Right. But
1: that's kind of what I'm saying.
0: Well, two (laughs) things. I think one is it sort of goes to show my point from earlier that this guy who can get elected should not have power over the people. It should be going to the legislature, like you said. Right. We need to make sure that the presidency's powers are diminished. Okay, it needs to be not as important. Second. It's going to be scary because they treated Donald Trump as if he was this guy that was in the back room, like, you know, twiddling his fingers, thinking about how he's going to throw this authoritarian kill, or be an authoritarian, sorry. The next person.
1: Yeah, the next person GOP could actually do it.
0: Can actually do it.
1: Right. They, they came in and they rattled, they, they rattled democracy to its foundation, right? And now you're seeing in these Republican states, you are seeing a suppression of voters. You are seeing the freedom of protest and speech greatly diminished. Um, we are seeing the core foundations of our democracy just beaten to death by Republicans. And the thing is, it's, it will depend greatly on whether or not the electorate responds immediately like they did um, in the face of uh, civil rights and you know the continuance of LBJ's presidency after the civil rights bill um, became his central focus. Um, we will have to see whether or not the electorate today still values democracy in the same way that Americans have historically.
0: Yeah, um, again, I mean, I feel like people always say that this next election is the most important election of all time. I'm, I'm not. I'm not Biden saying is, that. No, no. I'm. I'm saying that. I'm saying. I think Joe Biden's going to be a one-term president. I just think he's going to step not. down. I think. I think he's going to step back.
1: He said he. Are, he said he was going to run again. I, in 24. I mean,
0: how, how old is Joe Biden? Like, I don't know if he can handle four years of being president he's of this. 78. He might so, step, I mean, back. He's, it, he's think, step back. But I think. But
1: I also think Joe Biden is. You know the person that has always done what he believes needs to be done for America, right? Like, I think that's, I think that is
0: how he looks at the world. Except when he was, you know, backing the credit card companies in Delaware, and that's the reason Elizabeth Warren, you know, got into politics, was to fight against Joe Biden. But I I sort of take it, I I sort of take what you mean. I mean, because, I mean, Joe Biden is a typical politician, right? I mean, it was for most of his career, if you want to get to that point, it is... Maintain the party line, lobbyist, sort of putting together what, you know, for him in particular, Delaware, while the credit card companies are there, it's because he was the one at the forefront of a bunch of those bills that sort of let them skirt by regulations and uh, taxes. I mean, he did that for his state. Good for Delaware, I guess. You know, they got a big boom out of it. But uh, I don't know. I I think he's going to step back. He'll probably tell Kamala to run. Right. And she'll be. The leading candidate going into 2024, and the Republicans—they don't really have a candidate outside of what seems to be bubbling Ron DeSantis. That's the only. I think I it's going right
1: to be Cruz. Now. I actually think he can win okay. nationally. I think he can. I think he can win nationally in a different way than a lot of people would expect. Um, like I think
0: he's lost think a few he, times. You know, I, mean, I yeah, but run he, a
1: bunch. he came second to Trump, right? Um, I mean, this is speculation, right? Yeah, Ted Cruz got beaten over the head recently for a couple things that he totally deserved it on. I mean, DeSantis is not, in my opinion, charismatic enough to capture the Trump base without, um, going far right enough to, um, disillusion the suburban voters. That Republicans no one's as charismatic
0: thing. as Trump. I mean that twenty fifteen run, it was like that's the reason the media gave him so much free coverage was because again, he's reality T V star. He
1: well, either crowd. hate or love, right? You you didn't right. no one had a neutral reaction to him. Um I mean we'll see. I don't think DeSantis is nationally popular enough in a way More Or
0: worse. I'm, now that I'm I'm thinking about this because uh I heard her go on Ben Shapiro show, actually, and I, I do not like her at all. Nikki Haley is going to be making a huge run. Nikki Haley, nationally. I could
1: see I could see pulling it out, but I don't think the Trump base trusts her or likes her. I guess, you know, if Trump endorses her, sure. But I think Trump's going to endorse someone in the primaries. I don't think he's going to stay on the sideline until after that.
0: He's starting his own Twitter. Did you hear about this?
1: His own Twitter?
0: He's, he's starting a social media company.
1: Oh I knew he was gonna do that. Cool.
0: Yeah. Um, so he's he he'll be around it's it's funny yeah, because I he mean, can't tweet anymore, so he now like puts out these like press statements that are like two sentences. Yeah, they're like
1: insults, right?
0: Yeah, they're basically tweets. Um
1: Yeah, yeah I mean I don't
0: He would support I don't, Nikki Haley, I think. I think he would. Just because she was his UN. Well but
1: she came she down on the bat. other side of this, right? She had those statements sure. that were really repudiating him. That's fair. I don't I mean you would support Trump. Just holds a grudge, right? <laughs> like, yeah, that's true. there's there's no one that does it quite like him um, in that way.
0: But Nikki Haley could put out a statement, say I'm sorry, and Trump would totally eat it up. I mean, that's just who he is. You just got to feed his ego, and he'll totally switch around on you.
1: I mean, we'll yeah, we'll see. Uh, I think, but I think, but what I think is going to happen is that he will he will back someone well before the even if it's not a formal endorsement he'll back someone that is crazy he will back the most crazy person in the room that most closely follows him um in the primary and that person will either win or come damn near close to winning compared to a more moderate conservative
0: yeah well i think i think moderation like we've talked about before the moderate it's gone. There is no such thing as moderate politics anymore. But I'm not right even. I'm right not side. even talking about
1: a true moderate. I'm talking about someone like Nikki Haley, who just doesn't oh, okay. present yeah. as like actually insane, right? Is he they don't.
0: He's Marjorie Taylor Greene. He's going to back her up, pump her up for the next three. Years? I think. She, I
1: think she's going to probably lose in her next election um, in 22. But we'll see.
0: We'll be surprised because, dude, they we we haven't talked about the Q stuff at all. Um, on this podcast, but that shit is crazy. It yeah, is like I crazy don't see how many people still believe this. I mean, my friend, my friend's mom thought Trump was going to be president on like January twenty first. Like posting on Facebook, like you just wait for the arrests. This is a smart woman who you know runs her own like consulting well, business. People get you know just, normal people are down this rabbit hole.
1: That's just, I mean, that's just tough. But the thing is, all of that craziness is really good for Democrats at the end of the day, as long as you don't, you know, as long as you hold on to like these elections, if you're presented with a Q candidate, right, which is a Trump candidate, you are, either you're, you're now at a point where 30% of Republicans are disgusted by uh, the insurrection, insurrectionist movement, and you are hemorrhaging voters right to independence. If you keep putting forward those voters, you're either you're either going to persuade people that would normally vote for you to not vote, or they will vote for Democrats, right? Just to just to keep those people out of power. Um, and I, I think, think it depends on
0: what type of Democrat. I think the Democrats. Well,
1: you know, that's what I'm saying. If you put forward a Joe Biden.
0: Bidens. Yeah. Okay. It's one thing to if put you put up
1: Joe Biden, Joe Biden or you put up Kamala Harris, who has just broken the tie on the infras- on, on the COVID bill and a hypothetical infrastructure bill, right? They can point to her, you know, like left left wing agenda. I mean,
0: she doesn't. She's a class. I mean, she's like she's an author- She's an authoritarian. Like she's locking people out uh, in California for drug. I don't know about that. As the AG.
1: Um, yeah, but that's the thing is like she has a, she like Biden has this complicated record where she's not a true progressive. She's not a true, um, like a Warren or Sanders, right? And those two will both be too old to run against, you know, the vice president at that, at that time. If we're, if we're gaming this out, I actually, I do think it's going to be Biden. I think Biden is going to see at least one more major piece of legislation passed. Um,
0: the under this Congress,
1: I think he, I think he can get the infrastructure done um, because of you know uh, they actually they just they just relegalized this type of petty bargaining where senators and um, House members can uh, get certain things for their districts put into place. Um, pork. What? It's pork. The pork. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think you can get an infrastructure bill through right and that'll be popular with the majority of americans and it'll be popular with a significant portion of republicans and as long as the economy doesn't go to hell right you will see just a general acceptance of biden and his policies like you will you will see the end of covid right as long as a new variant doesn't emerge that is anti that is vaccine resistant you will see the economy open back up like we will be having dinner with our families and our extended families. And on, on Christmas, like these are all things that Americans will just feel like their lives are better. The stock mm-hmm. market hit an all time high recently. You know,
0: Which
1: those, those Republican fears of. Yeah.
0: The stock market, the SP sure. is up 76% over the past year. During yeah. a worldwide pandemic where there's unemployment, businesses closing. At what point is the reality of the stock market so divorced from what feels like reality? You know, boom and bust cycles happen. They happen every about 10 years. There's a huge economic boom. It comes crashing down and the reality sort of gets reset. Sure. When is that? When that happens, you know, the United States, I think, is in a really tough position because we've really blown everything out. Sort of out of necessity because of COVID, you know, we've spent $6 trillion, where World War II cost in today's money $4 trillion.
1: Well, I it's think just, like we've had that bust, right? Like we had the, the COVID kind of busted us well, in that way. Well, the stock, and the, un, well, there's the, there's the, the unemployment the stock rate is still there. Divorced from it. The,
0: the, you know, the stock market isn't reflecting what feels like the real well,
1: yeah. Well, I guess I guess what I'm more what I'm more talking about is like chipping away at the Republican base, which is what happened in the last election, which is why they lost the presidential, right? They lost the suburbs badly. And as long as Democrats prove that, you know, under their leadership, the economy is doing fine, the stock market's doing fine, those people will remain with us. I would find it very hard pressed for a Republican in the Trump fashion to appeal to the voting base of Democrats, which are um, you know, like much more likely to oppose a Republican candidate who is supporting Donald Trump.
0: Yeah, sure. Um, totally possible. Okay, well, we did go quite a bit over. Yeah, we went quite there. a bit and over, was but
1: this is a good discussion.
0: It was a good conversation, and we'll continue it next week, I'm sure. Uh, we didn't get a chance to talk about the Suez Canal being yeah. clogged up and all these companies being disrupted for uh, global trade having to take the long way around the Horn of Africa. But uh, hopefully, maybe next week it'll be maybe next week dislodged. Yeah. Isn't it funny how like
1: we started talking about China, goes, right?
0: China yeah, and Iran. Iran, being stuck <laughs> is like they can't get it out. Like, how the fuck can they not get it out? I, like, I don't really understand. I still, I've seen the pictures. I don't understand how it's still stuck.
1: Yeah, I know, right? Like, why don't you just use a ship to push it?
0: Push it, blow it up, do something. I don't
1: think blowing it up would be a good solution because then you, just, you just have a ton of rubble there. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: I yeah, I don't understand it either. Um, but I'm not I'm not an engineer. Yeah, I'm sure there's a very like logical, reasonable explanation that puts forward you know the complexities of piloting a ship the size of the Empire State Building and um, you know in a shallow canal that was built in the 80s, 1880s. Um, and I'm, I'm sure it's, I'm sure there's some reason, but I also well, feel like you just, you just go straight, right? Yeah.
0: <laughs> I, I, I don't understand. So next, next week, let's do some studying about this. We'll give a big update on the Suez canal.
1: Yeah. Hopefully it'll be fixed uh, by then.
0: So Raven, um, Robert, are you want to plug anything? Are you running anything this week?
1: Yeah, I just, I just put out an article about Andrew Cuomo and, um, you know, how he is, in the last year has both risen, both rose to a presidential level of um, leadership in the U S through the COVID crisis. And now has come crashing down in the face of two back-to-back impeachable scandals. Um, So check it out. It's on Latinique. Um, Yeah.
0: All right. Well, thank you, Robert. My name is Matthew Lawrence. Make sure you guys check out News to get uh, all your info on politics, culture, sports, Uh, They got a bunch of great writers over there. Talk to you next week. Thanks. Bye.